Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Well, hello. I'm Andy Behrens, joined as usual by Scott Pianowski. Welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast. It's the Tuesday Pickups Podcast, but I mean, it's week 17, guys, and only serial killers crown their fantasy champions in week 17. So we're not going to devote the next, I don't know, 30 to 45 minutes to pickups. You can rest assured of that today. We are going to take a look back at the players that we got right and some of the players that we got very wrong in 2020. If you need pickups, go get A.J. Dillon, go get Gus Edwards, maybe Zach Pascal, maybe Daryl Williams. That's all I got for you. You shouldn't be playing in week 17. It's an abomination. Don't do it. Scott, I should probably have asked you before uh, going on a little rant about week 17, whether or not you, in fact, have anything at stake in week 17. Yeah, I have a few. Um, oh, no. I don't think anything's head to head. I think it's just point a seasonal point leagues, which actually I don't think it's that big of a deal. Um, so I have a little bit to play for. I'll play some DFS internally with the Yahoo crew, which is that's a great pivot, by the way. Yeah. If you're looking for a fantasy football action in week 17, you know, play some DFS where you don't have to deal with, you know, who you can just you know play the guys you want to play and you're not shipwrecked by oh i have all these chiefs and then, you know, none of them are playing you know any consequential snaps on on sunday that i should have said is my real problem with the final week of the regular season like if you drafted too well and you got too many guys who are attached to the nfl's actual best offenses you're 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 a little bit out of luck absolutely yeah i mean we were talking today about uh, kelsey right i mean he's probably the the most valuable player in fantasy because of what he provides to you over the players at his position, you know, the difference between you had a bunch of stats that framed it well. The way I framed it was that you know, the difference between Kelsey at tight end one and TJ Hawkinson at tight end three was the difference between Hawkinson at three and whoever was t- tight end 50. I can't remember who it was. Somebody who probably had like nine catches for, for 100 yards and a touchdown. That's probably tight end 50. It, was it was it Virgil Green? Yeah, I think it was Virgil Green. There you go. Yeah, we might get we might get to Kelsey later. Like he doubled up the tight end six. He doubled up the scoring of the number of like sort of the the median you know rostered tight end in your league. That to me is just crazy. Yeah, well, well we can have a good talk about him because next year it's going to be a tough call. As as we set up this whole what we got right, what we got wrong, I want to just give the idea that what I'm reminded of every year when I do these things is you don't have to get that much right to have a successful season. I don't feel like I, I yeah. have these. This is not going to be a three-hour podcast of my victory laps because I, I couldn't provide that. I, I wasn't right on enough things to, to give you that. But you only need to be a little bit more right than the average person in your league, and you'll have a successful season. Almost all of my teams made the playoffs, and I'm, I'm making a profit. And you know, although I didn't run as well in the playoffs, I would have liked to. It's you know, 
I, I, again, I'm getting more out of it than I put into it. And, you know, most of my teams are in the playoffs. It's all you can do is be one of the better scoring teams in your league. And that wasn't just about every league I was, I played in. And this is besides being wrong an awful lot of the time. You don't have to be right all that often to be successful in fantasy sports. Yeah. One of my, one of my favorite things to write each year is actually a look back at like, I'll just, I'll just pick out a team um, that, you know, performed well, won a title, Maybe it had the best record like in my portfolio, right? This year I have a team that went 12 and one, just won a title. And you like you look back at at what you drafted and it's it's such trash. You know, you'll you'll look at that, you'll look at that draft and you'll be like, wow, I got I got nine picks, not just wrong, but hilariously wrong. But you get like two or three huge things right, or you were willing to reach, you know, two or three spots. You had a guy near the top of the ranks ranked like one spot above another guy, and it makes all the difference, right? Like I you know, I had a ton of Kelsey and that was, um, that like, that was a winning move this year. There were a handful of guys, Devonte Adams would be another, um, handful of guys that were just like winning maneuvers and you could get, you get eight things wrong at your draft that are, that are like enormous mistakes. Um, and it doesn't matter if you hit on the, on the right collection of players. Yeah. One of my teams where I felt like I had an ordinary draft with, with plenty of misses on it. I had James Robinson as somebody I drafted yeah. and, and he was, you know, uh, th- there's a thing, it's a tab you can go to called Fantasy MVPs. And, you know, if you've got Justin Jefferson, I, I didn't have any Justin Jefferson this year. I, Minnesota talked about him acclimating slowly in whatever workup they had this year. And he wasn't going to be a primary guy early in the season. I didn't realize that meant that, you know, in week two, go get Justin Jefferson. And he basically just toyed with the league the rest of the way. <laughs> but, um, yeah, you know, James Robinson getting him in, as a draft pick in one league with ordinary picks and luck on the rest of that team that, that made that teams like nine and four and like the second highest scoring team in a very deep league, just mostly because of the Robinson pick. One, one of the thing that, that gets constantly reinforced when you look at that fantasy MVPs tab each year, and this doesn't like football, baseball, basketball, whatever. One thing that always jumps out is that a lot of the names that end up near the top are actually in-season ads like Justin Jefferson. You can tell that some of the some of the most effective fantasy managers are the people who are just really aggressive on the waiver wire and are making, you know, quick ads on the right guys. So like Justin Jefferson landing on that list is a perfect example. He was I mean, he was drafted, but he wasn't excessively drafted. He was I, I don't know what it was, maybe 20%, something like that. He was available to most players at some point in the season and the folks who like jumped on it and were the most like a- aggressive actively playing the game were the ones that landed him. That's a great point. And, and occasionally, although I, I don't see a great example of this in football this year, but sometimes on that list also will be players who were obviously added who didn't pan out, which just shows that yeah. smart players were – one year um, Josh Gordon was on that list when he did almost nothing, but he was the type of player that a lot of winning fantasy managers were stashing. And so even though Gordon wasn't successful, he got a ring for a lot of these teams. So it's it's – again, it, a lot of times it's just symbolic of – the types of things you need to do to be successful. And I I think a lot of times people like talk about, you know, how much of fantasy is this direct draft and how much is it the maintenance and how much of it is luck. And I think it's more of a maintenance game, especially, man, this year with, with you know, schedules being in flux and, you know, even, even up to week 16. I mean, the, the Browns had a full pivot on their receiver crew and that threw a lot of chaos into it. Yeah, you want to draft well. You want to be prepared for your draft and you draft the best team you can. But I, I still think, the biggest skill of this game is the maintenance is the week in week out the the bidding the, the roster setting 
trading if it's something that your league does. Um, that may, you're looking ahead when it's time to look ahead, stuff like that, knowing who to cut. You know what? You know I what I thought was super really helpful this thing. year was to come through the 60 game sprint of baseball, and I and I wonder if other people had that experience as well, where like just sort of learning to manage teams in this bizarre environment that hopefully we're never going to repeat ever again. I mean, baseball was so hard, you know, like I initially, I went into the season thinking, oh man, 60 games, this is nothing. Um, if you win a league title, it should get an asterisk and all that. And and maybe it should, but it was hard. Like it was, it was really hard. Like there was breaking news in front of absolutely every game guys sitting, whole teams would sit for a week, right? Like you wouldn't get any stats out of the Cardinals for like a week and a half. It was just really damn hard. And you, you've never had to be as attentive to uh, your baseball teams as you were this year. So I feel like that almost prepped us, uh, those of us who play baseball as well, for the for the the nightmares of fantasy football. Yeah, the pithy thing we were saying all summer was that this fantasy baseball season feels like a fantasy football season because you had to really yeah. be hyper-aggressive because there's just no time. The thing about fantasy football is it just gets late so early. You can be behind yeah. the eight. All of a sudden, if you're one and four in a league, you can be really in trouble. And the fantasy baseball season was like that. And I'll mention... Not that anybody cares. There isn't one person listening that's going to care about this. But I did win the fantasy, the Yahoo Fantasy Baseball Friends and Family League, and there is no asterisk. I checked. And there's, <laughs> there's no asterisk. And uh, no, no. Look, social distancing applies, Andy. We did not have a parade. We did not put together a commemorative DVD. You know, a lot of the usual <laughs> things that you're used to. You know, no hats. There weren't any hats given out. Any T-shirts. Any of that stuff. But uh, you know, there still were side bets were consummated and, and paid out. And you know, it's still. So going to go on the record books as, as a glorious title, you know, just like, look, you know, LeBron's not giving his title back. The Dodgers aren't giving their title back. Uh, PNL's not giving his title back either. Surely I can go to pianowski.org and order some championship gear. You can probably scare something up for you. Right? <laughs> All right, let's dive into this. And I like you and I, you and I are, are similar in this respect. Neither one of us are big victory lappers, right? Like this is not a thing I'm totally comfortable doing. I don't like talking about the things that we get right because the least of what is expected of us is to occasionally get a thing right. And I never like, I, I think I feel like we've talked about this before too. I never fully trust the fantasy analysts who frequently take victory laps and, and do the, I told you so thing on a player, like, like, I mean, you should, you should be right. Some of the time, I feel like people who follow us, people who read us probably know a lot of this stuff already. They know the stuff that we get wrong. They know the stuff that we get right. They just care about people having a thoughtful process and being good players. So plus, I, honestly, even, even if that's what management wanted, I'm not sure I have a great victory lap player this year anyway, but yeah, I probably to my detriment, um, socially, uh, I get a little bit frustrated sometimes when, when people seem like they want to go through their Twitter archives to find the great thing they wrote 10 months ago right, and right. retweet it into consciousness. That That's not my thing. I mean, I, I jokingly talked about winning the friends and family. Like, I know nobody cares and, you know, whatever. I mean, I, I'm a good player. I'll win sometimes. You're a good player. You'll win, you know, sometimes. That's, that's what we, you're expected. That's why we do what we do. So uh, I agree that the misgivings aside, let's plow on and let's just try to figure out what we got right and wrong. So we'll start at quarterback. Tell me a big thing that you got either right or wrong. Or both. I, I was pretty against anything on the Patriots, and, and that included Cam Newton. I said that he'd be a one-and-done quarterback, and I thought they had horrible skill players that Brady ran away from. And and although Cam did have a, a glorious week two against Seattle, when he threw for like 397, and um, I may have walked some of those things back after week two, but um, that turned out to be fading the Patriots entirely, um, turned out to be the right thing. One thing I got wrong, I, you know, 
Russell Wilson on a lot of my teams, and, and that was fine for two months or maybe even 10 weeks. It was terrible for the last month of the season. Well, you were the king of September for that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. That's kind of how my fantasy season went. I was doing great through about 10 weeks. But because I was so into Russ, I didn't have a lot of Kyler Murray. And I feel like Murray was the biggest profit that you could have made at the fantasy quarterback position. And I just, you know, when, when it was Murray or Wilson, I was saying, okay, I'll, if I'll take Wilson now, I'll wait around on Wilson not that I liked Murray. It's not like I disliked Lamar Jackson the previous year when, when you called him. You saw that coming a mile away. I just didn't like Murray as much as the pro Murray people did. And, and that was that turned into something that was certainly painful. I, I will say also, I have a lot of Josh Allen. I can't say it was really for the right reasons because I just thought there's such a rushing floor with Allen. I thought that would be the buoyancy in his fantasy value. I didn't expect that Cole Beasley would have a breakout year. Um, I definitely got digs wrong. We'll talk about him a little bit later. Um, you know, th- their offense was a lot better than I expected and constructed in a different way than I expected. But I do have a lot of Allen. To, you can be right sometimes for the wrong reasons. I feel like I was right for the wrong reasons on Josh Allen. I, I actually love that you mentioned Allen that way because I, I feel like I was hilariously wrong about him in real life. Yeah. I mean, no player has has improved himself from the, from the moment he got in the league to where they are now uh, more than than Josh Allen has. And so... I was hypercritical of him in real life, but it didn't really affect my fantasy ranking for the reason that you expressed. Like, I just assumed, okay, well, this guy has settled into a point where while he's healthy, he's going to rush for eight to 10 touchdowns. And that guy has a floor that other players don't. So he was an unavoidable, you know, top 10 fantasy QB. So I, like, we're, we're talking on a Monday afternoon. I've still got Josh Allen going in a couple of finals. Like, I've, I've got plenty of shares of him. So I may have been wrong about him in terms of the trajectory that the Bills now find themselves on, but I, I feel like I wasn't terribly wrong about him for, for fantasy purposes. When you talk about most improved players, and I, I agree with you, he's right at the top of that list. I just want to say also a different position, but there was a time where I thought Devontae Adams was a bad football player. I don't think that anymore. Oh, I'm, his I'm, rookie year, he was a drop machine. Yeah. Everybody talks yeah. about it. He was, it was a punchline. So there's a guy. You, it just shows you can, you know, you can turn, you, you turn yourself. Um, you know, th- these players are not finished products, and, and sometimes it takes a different coach. Sometimes it just takes some patience. Um, but in the in the case of Allen, I mean, just credit to Buffalo. They recognized what they needed to do to su- support him with the type of pieces that would make him successful. And, and, and Allen's done a lot of work himself. His accuracy's gotten a lot better. And, uh, you know, so you have to try to stay open-minded that the you know, the player that we don't trust right now, we don't think can play right now, it could, could be a fantasy hero next year. Yeah, man. If you would have told me going into the season – the Bills were going to run a lot of four wide receiver sets and rely on timing patterns <laughs> and all kinds of things that I didn't think Josh Allen could do. I, I wouldn't have been any more bullish on him. Um, it's been really fun and it's been it's been really exciting. I will I will throw out there. I mean, like, I, again, I, I hate talking about the things that we get right. Kyler Murray was definitely thing I, I got right. I'm, I, I am definitely not alone in the fantasy industry as having written the, the thing where, hey, there's a path for Kyler Murray to be the QB1. In fact, it was after the Lamar season, you kind of had to pay up for Kyler Murray. I mean, he was a top five fantasy quarterback based purely on on speculation but it was a little bit like the Lamar Jackson situation which is which is that when you when you start doing projections for the player it's really hard to get him out of your top 5 and it is somewhat surprisingly hard to get him out of your top 5 and a lot of that has to do with just the unique rushing ability and all Kyler Murray had to do was get a little bit more effective as a passer um have a little bit you know like like 
to see the the carries trend up just a little bit, a couple of rushing touchdowns here and there. And all of a sudden we're talking about somebody who was going to have a very difficult time avoiding the top three at the position. And that man, like, like the, the prevalence of rushing quarterbacks. Uh, I know you and I have talked about this a fair amount. TJ Hernandez, our mutual friend had a, had a, tweet a couple days ago about this, about, about sort of rethinking the whole late round quarterback notion, because man, if you don't get one of these guys, like, like I don't know that I'm terribly comfortable coming out of a draft next season without Kyler or Josh Allen or Mahomes or Watson or one of these, or Lamar or Mahomes, one of these other guys who, who is fully capable of six to 10 rushing touchdowns. It's just, it's just problematic. If you don't have it, you can't like, you can't stream your way to total success at quarterback with a bunch of guys who are good for like 250 yards and two touchdowns anymore. That's just not, that's just not really on the table. Right. That's such a great point. There's going to be a year. It could be this year. It could be next year where a lot of these older quarterbacks are, are going to tip their caps and, and say goodbye. And there'll be no more Brady and no more breeze and no more rivers and no more Roethlisberger. And, I think what I'm going to do until these guys retire and, you know, look, Brady just had a monster game against the Lions. You know, Breeze is still an effective monster player. Monster half. Had a monster half. And then they well, ball. Yeah. Andy, I think, I think we could have gotten 11, 11 people, 11 strangers <laughs> at, the, at the Yahoo offices, you know, to, to put up 30 on the Lions. I mean, what a, what a joke. If um, we still had Funston, we definitely could. I don't know about now. True. True. Um, man, still, still a really good point guard too, Funston. You, you, you always talk about these quarterbacks being point guards. I know Funston's a great point guard, so I got to figure he's probably – a great fantasy quarterback too. I'm not going to be drafting next year. I don't want to draft somebody who I don't think has a path to doing something with their legs, whether it's, I guess the baseline would be if they can be Ryan Tannehill, where they're willing to take a touchdown if it's available to them around the goal line. I feel like he's somebody who could run in like five touchdowns a year, maybe run for 250 yards or something like that. I'll take that. I don't want the the Brady or the Rivers who and, and look. It's easy to to pan the old guys. It's not like I'm I'm you know a lot of people are fighting for them necessarily. But you need to have a running element to your game. And you know we didn't even talk about you know Jalen Hurts. You know how exciting he was. By the way, it's something I did get right. Um, if we're talking about pivots we made in season, I mean I picked up Jalen Hurts in a league when he wasn't even starting. And, you know, he ended up being great. Um, a lot of that was fortuitous luck. I didn't think he'd be quite also, this good. Like, week 16 didn't even have a good game. Did Like, clearly did not have a good game and, and put up a huge fantasy total. Still gave you like, that is That is the joy of the the dual threat quarterback yep. is that you know, there will be days where Lamar Jackson doesn't really play that well and he's quarterback five. You know, Kyler Murray, I'm still not convinced he's necessarily the real thing as a, as a pocket quarterback. He'll have games where his YPA will be like five. Yeah. Um, but um, – <laughs> Man, dynamic as a runner, a great athlete. And, and I think a lot of that is Kingsbury, too. I, I'm not sure that he's the right answer for that team long term. And I, I don't know if they were to crash land next year and go five and 11 or six and 10. I think Kingsbury could easily be fired. But it's it's look, we've all talked about it. I mean, Rich Rebar has, you know, put himself on the map of the Konami code. I used to say all you know back to the Tim Tebow days. It's just algebra. It's just the way we score fantasy. And I wonder if there'll ever be some pushback against it. I wonder if people will want different scoring rules for quarterbacks some days or they'll just, they'll just step into it or not. But I'm at a point now where I don't want to draft a quarterback if he doesn't have some rushing kick to him. I will finish this up by talking about the one guy that not only did I get him wrong, but I don't have any shares of him. So this isn't like Josh Allen where I've still got him on a bunch of teams, um, e- even though I was fundamentally wrong about him. I don't have any Aaron Rodgers. And a little bit of it, it you know, like, you know, we're talking about the need to to be able to produce with your legs. If you don't really have that, you better have the season that Aaron Rodgers is having, which is not, 
you know, not, not even a reasonable expectation for even Aaron Rodgers, right? <laughs> like I, I was, I was relatively out on him coming. I know I was fully out on him coming into this season because he was coming off basically three years of the kind of play that just doesn't win you league titles. 26 passing touchdowns, 25 passing touchdowns. The year before he played basically a half season and it was 16 passing touchdowns. That just doesn't like that without a rushing element doesn't pay the fantasy bills. Yes, he was giving you 4,000 yards. Yes, he was giving you 26 touchdowns. Yes, he's good at some of the really important real life stuff that doesn't make much of an impact in fantasy, right? Like he never gives the ball away. Um, it's good. It's good. There's a lot of, you know, he was throwing the ball away a bunch. And when, when you combined how little he did from a fantasy perspective over the past three seasons with the direction that it sure seemed like that team wanted to go based on, you know, where, where they spent their draft capital, who their coach was, all that. I certainly did not see. I mean, we're, they've got a game to play. And Aaron Rodgers is sitting on 44 passing touchdowns. Um, it's a it's a magnificent season. It is he's playing like the Aaron Rodgers of 2010, 2011, phenomenal. And he's kind of reinforced the fact in my mind that he is de- very much in that like top five all time conversation, leading the league in passer rating by a mile. It's just it's just been a, an incredible year. This is what you have to do if you're not if you're not a running quarterback. You've got you've got to basically challenge 50 passing scores. Right. Uh, currently sitting at quarterback three. I think in standard. Yeah, that doesn't even, he's got 44 passing touchdowns, leads the league. That doesn't even get you QB1 status. Yeah, right. And Murray's rushing stats has him ahead of him. And I I guess with Mahomes likely sitting out week 17, Murray will probably end up with a quarterback one jersey by the end of the year. And it's funny, you know, Wilson feels like maybe a loss for me. He's still quarterback four. I'll mention just one other guy really quick. Deshaun Watson, I wrote a don't draft Deshaun Watson piece at the beginning of the season. It was all just not trusting Bill O'Brien and wondering what would happen with what was left over. Which, honestly, good thought, process. Good process. I feel, Yeah, I feel like <laughs> it was really good process. And I said the whole the whole piece, I said, I threw my hands up and said, I love Deshaun Watson. He's a fantastic player. I think this offensive line stinks. He's going to get hit a bunch. I'm not sure if Will Fuller can play a full season. And, you know, we'll have to talk about him, I'm sure, later in this podcast. But, you know, Watson has proven that he is environment proof you know i mean they basically houston threw him about the worst situation you could throw at a player and he said fine i'll be great anyway so i'm happy to see it i never doubted watson the player i just thought the pieces around him could sink him and i guess that was turned out to be not the case so that's uh, some more red ink on my 2020 file one other name that i want to throw out there before we before we veer to another position um and you can just give me a quick take on this where are you going to have dak prescott next season coming into the year because like it feels like a million years ago but Dak Prescott, over his first four games, was averaging 422 passing yards per week. He was so far ahead of the single-season yardage record pace that it, it was down to a point where he just needed to throw for like 300 yards a game and he was going to get there. It was a, an absolutely historic pace. It was a perfect storm, bad defense, incredible receivers, and it was all clicking and obviously the unfortunate injury. But I, I, I feel like there's still a path for Dak to finish as the QB1 next year. If this all comes down to health, if we can feel confident – of him being healthy enough to start week one, I'm going to proactively draft Dak Prescott. I'm not, I'm going to have so much fear of missing out on this offense because Cooper is great and, and Lamb is, ter- you know, I, I said before the season, I, well, I guess I can talk about that in the receiver spot, but I was a, very much a pro Lamb person. I feel like that's been borne out. But, um, and Michael Gallup showed in week 16, hey, I'm still here. I'm still, you know, I'm still a factor. 
Um, they didn't even have the tight end. We thought we thought Blake Jarwin was going to be maybe a breakout tight end for them. He, he got hurt right away. Don't remind me of Blake Jarwin. Oh my gosh. Yeah, they have Tomlin. At, they have Tomlin in the backfield, and man, didn't Ezekiel Elliott kick up his heels? Like, you think Tony Pollard's better than me? Really? You guys think that? Yeah. You know, I, I feel like I should apologize for that. I told all sorts of people not to play Zeke in Week 16, which feels like the wrong advice, Andy. Anyway, I'm excited about this offense. They just they have playmakers at every position you'd want them, and I can't imagine they would have worse luck than they've had this year with the offensive line and the injuries they've had there. So then maybe the defense will be a little bit better next year, which will, you won't get as much 40 to 35 football, but I feel like they, they could, you could make the case because people were making the case before the season that they might've been the most stackable team in fantasy. They might've had the most talent yeah. when you talk about who was draftable and, you know, the idea was, Hey, why don't you get two or three Cowboys on a team? And then this could easily be a winning path, you know, a great best ball path, a great seasonal path. And I think everybody who did that felt great for about three or four weeks until Dak got hurt. So I, I'm going to want to be in, a, again, pending health. And we, we it's really hard to say that, you know, nine months out where Dak's going to be. But if he looks healthy in August, yeah, I'm going to be going after that. Okay, let's talk about your hits and misses at running back. And we will try to exclude, it's hard, but we'll try to exclude all of the injuries, right? As best we can, we'll, we'll, we'll cut the injured guys out of this conversation. Nobody's really wrong about Saquon Barkley or Christian McCaffrey. Um, those are just unfortunate situations. Uh, what, what'd you get right? What'd you get wrong? I was pounding the table for Derrick Henry as, as a perfect you uh, were, middle of you the were, first round pick. Yeah. And you might, people might say, well, what's the big deal about that? Who didn't like Derrick Henry? Well, I, I mean, if, if you've got a first round pick who returned value for you this year, it just felt like such an advantage. And um, I, I thought it was possible that maybe Tennessee could make him a 30, 35 catch guy that, that hasn't happened, but, um, you know, certainly any, any of my teams that got Henry in the first round. And again, maybe it's just because he survived when others didn't. And I don't know if that's something incumbent on Henry and maybe it's just bad luck of some of these other running backs getting hurt. So uh, I, I felt validated with that. I talked about earlier, James Robinson, who I, I landed on him as, as a draft pick in some leagues and mostly cause I, I thought he'd have. Most of the offense to himself, I had no idea he'd be as talented as he turned out to be. So uh, that, that's something that that's worked out. But I, I don't know if it was anything um, by design. Maybe it was just luck um, that that was the case. I, I think also because I was so down on Leonard Fournette that you know, anybody after Fournette was going to look good to me. So <laughs> um, I got a piece of that. I did not play um, the. I was drafting receivers in a, in a lot of rounds where where people were taking rookie running backs like like Jonathan Taylor like um, DeAndre Swift, uh, guys who if you, you had to be patient with them. But if, if you got to the playoffs and then were able to, to plug in Taylor down the stretch, I, th I think that was advantageous. And I didn't get any piece of that. I feel – I don't know how wrong I was on Aaron Jones, but I, if if I gave Aaron Jones the season he had, I know it, it's frustrating to a lot of people who might have needed him in the playoff week, but he does have 10 touchdowns. He, he's right now running back five, running back six, something like that. I, I feel like he was a screaming value in most leagues to me available in the second round and I wasn't taking it. So I, I think I have to take a loss on him. Yeah. We kind of have to look at what, you know, some of what AJ Dillon did in week 16 surely would have belonged to Jones were it not for the, the injury at the absolute worst possible time. Um, so he, for most of the season was, I think a, a pretty clear win. I don't have a, I don't have a ton to add to this. I will throw out there that I just was fantastically wrong on Mark Ingram. And I, I talked about him a fair amount. It's, it's, I still feel like it's somewhat unusual to expect a head coach to pivot away from something that works really well for them 
from one season to the next. There wasn't anything wrong with what Mark Ingram gave the Ravens last year, right? It was like 15 touchdowns. It was five yards per carry. On a per-touch basis, he was fine to start this season as well. But he had the injury, and then they just they just shelved him thereafter, right? Like he wasn't he wasn't perhaps quite as explosive as uh, as he had been the year before. And they love Gus Edwards. Gus, Gus Edwards had like Gus Edwards has had one of my favorite plays of uh, of Week 16, by the way, like a reception of all things, which is not even something that Gus does, and he just plows somebody over at the end of it. So he's a he's a really frisky runner, and obviously J.K. Dobbins has been great. And once they settled on two guys, that was again a really fun rushing offense. It's basically been the number number one rushing offense in the league all season. And for a while there, for at least half the year, while they were still trying to involve Ingram, none of them were playable because of it. So anyway, like I had, it didn't matter. Ingram's going to be one of those guys where I look back at some of the teams that were the most successful in my, in my, my fantasy portfolio. And I'll see Mark Ingram in like the fifth round or something like that. But it didn't, uh, didn't ultimately matter because I was taking Travis Kelsey in round two. And I was, you know, I, I got a handful of other things, right. But wow, did I whiff on Ingram? I will give myself a little bit credit for being right on Devin Singletary and you you saw a pretty wide range of opinions on him. The problem with that is I was somehow right on Devin Singletary not being much of a factor and not being particularly relevant in, in, in the in the RB2 conversation and yet somehow Zach Moss wasn't helpful either. I was, I was super in on Zach Moss and I thought, okay, here's the guy who's going to catch the passes. Here's the guy they're going to hand off to when they get inside the 10-yard line. And it was like, nope, we're just going to throw to wide receivers and Josh Allen is going to run in all the touchdowns. And the right answer at running back for the Bills, this great offense um, is going to be no one. Yeah, it's funny. I I thought that it was very possible that Kenyon Drake was trapped and Chase Edmonds was really the most valuable running back on that team. And that may be true, but uh, the, the Cardinals sure don't want to run things that way. Yeah. And even when Drake got hurt and Edmonds finally had his close up, he had his chance to start. He had a total dud. He had probably his worst game of the year from an efficiency standpoint. So I spent a lot of a fair amount of draft capital on Edmonds. I was taking him like ninth round, 10th round, 11th round. And holding him and not dropping him when I could have picked up other guys. And then when Drake got hurt, although you never celebrate an injury, I thought, okay, it's go time for Edmonds. He could really put his Marcus territory and put his foot down and say, I'm the guy here. And it just didn't happen that way. And unfortunately, when Edmonds would have playable games sometimes every once in a while, you'd get like a 12-touch game with a touchdown or two. I mean, it was never something you could forecast ahead of time. So unless you had him in best ball where you got it anyway – uh, he just ended up being – I don't know if the process was wrong. I don't know if there's a learning takeaway from it other than, you know, we, of course, we always have to handicap the coaches and what their whims are. And if they like a player, <laughs> it doesn't matter who we think is better. They're going to play who they want to play for whatever reason. So maybe I just have to reinforce that into my mind or, or just, you know, I guess I could blame Kingsbury if I want. But I feel like I spent a lot of time drafting, thinking about, podcasting about, talking about. I, I mentioned him as a pickup several times with Chase Edmonds, and I don't think anybody got any return from that. Let's uh, b- before we move on to the wide receivers, how many? OK, let's let's assume uh, a 12 team fantasy draft standard settings, uh, half PPR, like the default settings at Yahoo. How many running backs are going in the first round and who are they? I don't know, maybe six, five or six, seven, something like that. I don't think I don't think we're at the point where it used to be. Maybe even last year it got this way. But it's like, oh, yeah, 12 round first round, uh, 12 pick first round. We could have 10 running backs. You know, and like a token, a token receiver or two, maybe a tight end. I, I think people are over that now. Do Staley eleventh overall pick? Sure thing. Troy Hambrick, yeah, absolutely. I mean, Kenyon Drake was a first round pick in a lot of leagues this year because the idea is that I got to get one. If I don't get one, I'm in trouble. I think people are much more comfortable trying to find 
a running back after the first round. I mean, look, I still think anchors away is a great strategy, which some people will call uh, modified zero RB. You'll get the one guy and, and then pivot. Um, a lot of my teams that had Henry would have done that, would have gone Henry and then like three or four receivers, maybe a tight end in there, something like that. Although I have very little Travis Kelsey and that's really depressing. But I don't know. Seven running back sounds right. I mean, you know, Dalvin Cook's going there. Kamara's going there. Henry's bought himself another season in there. I don't know what people will do with the injured guys, but McCaffrey would have to go in the first round. I think Zeke will probably go in the first round again, probably Barkley. So yeah, seven or eight sounds right to me. I actually just fired up a mock draft from our friends at The Athletic. Uh, and these guys are, in, in fact, all of our friends. Uh, it's Salfino, it's Funston, it's Beller, it's Seeley, Nando, and uh, uh, Derek Van Riper. And I'm looking at their mock, and they have they have eight. They have eight running backs in the first right. round, and it is uh, goes Cook, McCaffrey, Kamara, Henry, Barkley at five. Those like those are the first five picks, and then Nick Chubb is in there, Zeke Elliott is in there at the back end, and uh, James Robinson, your guy. Like boom, it's a it's another sequence of running backs at the at the top of the second, and Jonathan Taylor and Jacobs and Eckler and, and Aaron Jones soon after. So it's well, a lot. is it funny that Andy? We think of the rookie classes of the skill talent, right? And the receivers smashed, you know, for the most part, the receivers who were good this year as rookies were good right away. Yeah. And with so many of the rookie running backs, there was a implement, you know, they took time to get comfortable. And again, I talked about Taylor needing time to, to get going. And um, one thing I didn't get right is I, I faded CEH. Uh, he started becoming not only a first round pick, but he was like a middle first round pick by the end of draft season. And uh, not that he was ever really a brick, but he, I think he goes down as a disappointment. But is it interesting that it wasn't the plug-and-play situation for rookie running backs that for whatever reason, it, it felt like these guys needed some time to get their sea legs. I, I think Taylor, I think the speed of the game caught Taylor by surprise, and he didn't really start looking comfortable maybe until the second half of the year. Yeah, I, I imagine a guy like Taylor who just won so consistently with his speed at the college level and, of course, was never touched behind the line of scrimmage and was rarely touched for the first seven yards um, uh, that, that he was running. Like, 4-3 speed at the at the college level, especially in the Big Ten West, is super rare. And it's not, it's not, quite, as, it's not quite as rare among uh, defensive backs and even sometimes linebackers in the NFL when they really get up to speed. Before we Actually, before we move on to wide receiver, I have one more question for you. Um, Let's say, hypothetically, no Drew Brees in New Orleans next year. Does it change your opinion on Kamara? Does he go from, I don't know, RB3 to RB6, something like that? I don't think he has the receiving equity with Taysom Hill. I would. I don't think Winston's going to be their quarterback. I, I, I'm not positive it's going to be Hill. I don't think I'm going to draft him proactively next year. Uh, see, probably a sea change in the Saints offense. I, I, I think when it comes time to get Kamara... I might be more wide receiver driven. Uh, yeah, I feel like I feel the same way. Um, he did have the one quality receiving game with Taysom Hill to make us think that maybe it was more about the foot injury than it was the uh, the quarterback himself. But uh, I, I sure feel a lot more confident in him with uh, with Breeze behind center because I know. Breeze by by, is by the way, it's it silly down. to be saying anything negative about a guy who just had a six touchdown game six and touchdown it easily game, could have been right. seven. You know, I mean, he did anything he wanted in that game. Thank you. Mike Zimmer defense. I love how Zimmer was like, you know, this is the worst defense I've ever had. Hey, you coached, you picked him and coached him, coach. But so it seems a little silly to be saying that. But, you know, we've seen in recent years with these running backs with the shelf life of their peaks and should they get a second contract? I don't know. Once it used to be once a running back hit 30, you started getting nervous. Now, once they're on that second contract, I'm nervous. Even in the late 20s, I just get to the point. I mean, look, look at 
Todd Gurley, right? I mean, he was you know, on all the magazine covers and was the guy who everybody was thanking and giving money to charity for winning their league just a few years ago. And, and now, I mean, he's getting, he's playing behind Edo Smith, you know, that's how quickly these things turn. So I don't, Kamara is not going to be a proactive pick for me next year. I will take him if, if the slot fits it, but he's not going to be somebody I'm elbowing people out of the way for. There's another hot week 17 ad for you. Go get Edo Smith. Pianowski told you to. Um, okay. <laughs> Wide receivers. What'd you get right? What'd you get wrong? Oh, I got some really good wrong ones here. I'll save one for you, but I was like, Hey, big receiver in a new, new city. Uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins going to Arizona. I, I don't know about that. I know the second round price sounds interesting. I'm going to sit that one out. And then the first game, Hopkins caught, I don't know, 78 passes against the 49ers. Was, <laughs> at least at least he immediately knew it was wrong. So I, I couldn't have been more wrong on that. I don't feel like any of my hits here are gigantic. I was proactive to taking Devontae Adams in the first round. And all he's done is put together per game the best PPR season of all time since the merger. I, I don't know if it beats like what Don Hudson did in 1942 or not, but <laughs> um, 17 touchdowns in 13 games. I mean, we're looking at – when you start comparing seasons you had to Jerry Rice or even that West Chandler 1982 partial season, which is like one of the most underappreciated seasons in fantasy history or in NFL history, uh, you've done something really, really great. And Adams reminds me that I think receiver – I think we've gotten so smart about regression and and – how often a player should score a touchdown that we've started to discredit players who score touchdowns and act like they're lucky when a lot of times it's because of having great skill and having great maneuverability and tight spaces and a rapport with your quarterback. Adams owns his touchdown rate. He scores double digit touchdowns regularly because of things he does well and things that he does well with Aaron Rodgers. So that's something he's somebody, whenever you do projections, you don't think, Oh, I got to regress this. He's going to score seven or eight touchdowns. That doesn't, that's not in the DNA of Devonte Adams, as long as he's close to his peak abilities, which he certainly is right now. So I have a, a fair amount of Adams on teams. Adam Thielen wasn't a gigantic hit. Um, you know, he wasn't even the biggest hit in his own receiving group, but he was available in the fourth round, maybe even a little bit later than that in some leagues and any m- multiple touchdown, a double digit touchdowns. He's been pretty much an every week guy. The big hit I was going to have, the really player I was going to smash being right on was Jamison Crowder. I think when he's been healthy this year, it's been terrific. Mm-hmm. The problem was he was hurt in the middle of the season. And then when he came back, the Jets were in the absolute despair of their season. They've since kind of turned it around. They've obviously won two games in a row. They've covered five of the last seven weeks. If you had the guts to take the Jets and the points, they kind of remind me a little bit. I was saying the Giants for a long time were, were this year's Dolphins. Now I'm thinking the Jets have a little bit of that tinge where just when people thought they were abysmally uh, horrible and just one of the generally worst teams of all time, you know, they're not even picking first anymore. They, they actually locked up the number two spot with a week to, to go. Way to go, Jets. I mean, <laughs> maybe you should bring Adam Gase back. He's got this thing going in the right direction. But uh, Jamison Crowder, you know, my best ball team sure appreciated it. I had a really good best ball season. I may win five of my 12 best ball leagues. Not that anybody should care or, you know, want to hear about them. But Jamison Crowder was a, a part of that portfolio. So, uh, there's a guy who can really play some football, just needs to stay healthy. I will say that probably the biggest thing I got right at wide receiver, and it didn't matter in the end, and it actually it probably cost me uh, a semifinal loss in, in one league, but the thing that I got most right was probably Will Fuller. I got him right for entirely the wrong reasons. Right. Like, I, you know, he was he was a guy that you got in the seventh round, eighth round. Um, he was he was relative to his production, a, a, just a stupid cost. Um, and the thinking was, you know, there's such a discount on this guy because of the, the sort of plague of hamstring issues that he's dealt with over the years. People are discounting him so severely. And yet, you know, uh, a, a thing that we talk about in baseball from time to time is the idea of like 
signature or significance to a performance. Like Will Fuller has one of the all-time performances at the wide receiver, as single game performances in, in the history of his position. His big games are unlike almost anyone's big games. And so that was the thinking. Like he, he just needs to give me 12 games at the right time. And I need three of them to be Will Fuller's supernova games. And it's like, it's like 180 yards and two or three touchdowns. And I'm going to win those weeks. And if it pops at the right time, great. And if I can, if I can roster him as a wide receiver three, all the better. Um, that's a, that's a perfect way to, um, think of your wide, wide receiver three spot. You're not going to get consistency there, but instead that's what Will Fuller became. All he did was just, he scored a touchdown every week. He scored, he played, played like 11 games and scored eight touchdowns and was on a, was on a crazy pace. He was, he was money in the bank absolutely every week, entirely different from the player that like he, he was doing well on volume, which is perhaps not what you thought of him. And, you know, DeAndre Hopkins left and Will Fuller was great. He was great as sort of a, a volume player. Uh, that's a, that's a case of just being sort of right for the wrong reasons. And then again, of course, suspended didn't matter in the end. The player I got most wrong, unlike, and you and I have talked about him already on the pod, not, not this edition of the pod, but in previous podcasts, um, Stefan Diggs. And this is where it burned me to be, to be wrong on Josh Allen in real life. I just simply didn't think that Josh Allen was going to support a top 10 fantasy receiver. I didn't think he was there as a passer, um, had no problem with the notion of him being a really strong fantasy play at quarterback. But I just, I did not see a technician like Stefan Diggs meshing this well with what I thought of Josh Allen. So I have none of him. I mean, I have none, nothing anywhere. He was a guy that I was just getting in, in DFS to kick myself because I couldn't believe I didn't draft him anywhere. Didn't even hedge a little bit on the opinion. I was like, Nope, I'm out on Stefan Diggs. He's, he's a wide receiver three for me. And then it turns out he's, you know, we're, we're talking here on Monday. We're heading into the Monday night game. He hasn't had a dud yet. He has a single game this season with fewer than six receptions. So like his floor in any sort of PPR format is ridiculous. And in the one game in which he didn't have six receptions, he scored a touchdown. So he's double digit points in, in PPR literally every week. The floor is, is almost unlike any receiver other than Devonte Adams. He's just been ridiculously consistent this year. Incredible season for, for Diggs. Totally wrong on him. I was as well. I wasn't considering him at any point. <laughs> where he was getting drafted. He basically wasn't on my draft board. And this raises an interesting uh, point, second selfie, you know, call, call back on this podcast. So the, the whole rule of thumb for years was like, okay, don't take the receivers when they change teams. Now, obviously, Diggs and Hopkins just had monstrous seasons. And Mike Salfino's twinge on this, his take on this, his slant on this, is that the problem when receivers change teams a lot is that they're asked to be elevated to a spot that maybe is above where they should be. They're like a, a wide receiver two on their teams, and then they go to a team, now they're the alpha. You know, they were the three on their previous teams. They go to a team, now they're the number two option. The so problem when, that Corey Davis may face next year. Let's right, say. Sure, sure. Now, now, now one player who, who notably didn't didn't fit going from a one to a one is, is um, Odell Beckham, who... Um, Obviously, things haven't worked out for him in Cleveland for different reasons. He's had trouble staying healthy. And, uh, you know, last year, the Browns, just about nothing worked out there anyway. But may maybe I ha we have to rethink this. I I'm going to rethink it, right? Is If somebody is going from a similar – from a role in their previous city to a similar role or a similar pecking order slot in the new city, if I can believe in the coaching staff, which I did believe in – I was a Brian Dable fan last year. You know, I, I, maybe I didn't like him as much as people are going to like him now. He's probably going to be a head coach. You know, Kingsbury, I don't know if I ever could have gotten there with Kingsbury. So maybe I'm just never going to have Hopkins if they rerun the 2020 season. <laughs> but I think at least we have to readdress 
those who believed in this rule of thumb. And I certainly did. You know, I, I thought it was like, this is, I've been playing this way for a while. It's very seldom come back to bite me. So why wouldn't I continue to play that way? And then this year it didn't just bite me. I mean, like basically chewed off my leg. Okay. Before we leave wide receiver. And since I mentioned Corey Davis, give me a candidate to be either the, you know, the, th- think of guys like Corey Davis and Curtis Samuel, who really um, sort of rewrote uh, the player profile, right? Like what, what we thought of those guys has changed dramatically going into 2021. Who's, who's the receiver um, who we've already written off who can unexpectedly blow up next season? It'd be too sharp to say written off, but Jerry Jude just had one of the all-time horrible games that people are going to cling to. He dropped five passes. Oh, man, I thought of him when we were talking about Devontae Adams earlier in his rough rookie season, right? Yeah. Yeah, Judy was open the whole game and couldn't catch it. And and a lot of these were really easy passes um, that you should should secure. And I think also people are going to hold against Judy and, and probably against Ruggs, too. They're going to hold against the fact that other rookie receivers. I didn't mention Lamb. He was get one guy. I said before the season that Lamb would be the jewel of this class. It sure looks like Justin Jefferson now, but I don't feel at all bad about anything I said positive about Lamb because I think he just looks like a, a world beater and a you know a, a generational seismic player. But um, Judy just had a really awful game that got a lot of attention, and I, I, we can't guarantee that the Broncos quarterback situation will be fun next year because I don't think Drew Locke is really all that good. And I know the Broncos have a wealth of skill talent, so you, you worry about crowding issues. We would think they'll be getting Court and Sutton back next year, but I would make it incumbent on people. Try to draft some Jerry Judy shares next year. I think you'll be glad you have. Uh, that's a, that's actually a really good call. I'll I'll just toss out the name James Washington as a possibility. He's a former second-round pick, somebody who's been in the league now a handful of years, and not, not a total bust because he makes things happen when they throw to him, but there's not a lot of opportunity for him. We'll just see what Juju does in the offseason. Like if Juju Smith-Schuster isn't there. I'd be shocked if he stayed in Pittsburgh. Yeah, yeah, I kind of feel the same way. And so if he's gone now, there's a now there's obviously a much bigger role for James Washington, and he's totally passed the eye test every time he's been on the field. Uh, I I think basically this season. So uh, that trio would be real good. It's not it maybe it's not quite as good as the Cowboys trio, but man, Claypool looks like he has star potential. Deontay Johnson is basically already there, and uh, James Washington could be a thing, even though we may have partly written him off. By the way, I'm disappointed you're not. You're not calling the Nikhil Harry breakout? <laughs> I am, in fact, not calling the Nikhil Harry breakout. That is that is one thing I, I, I feel like I also got right along with you, is just to stay away from the, the Patriots offense entirely. To, to, to be fair with ASU, because you know Harry hasn't panned out through two years, they did have Brandon Ayuk, is, yeah. I guess the one Stead. great rookie receiver we didn't mention. Did you end up with any Ayuk shares this year? Uh, I do. In fact, I have them in the right places. Like I, I have them in, uh, dynasty formats. I did not think that he, you know, whatever we, 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 we tend to guess at which receivers we think are going to really pop in, in their first season. And we don't, you know, I think you and I are kind of the same where we, we, we experienced fantasy for so long, for so many years where you just didn't expect anything from a rookie receiver that I, you know, I don't, I don't tend to snatch them up perhaps the way I should. I was in on Justin Jefferson and, uh, I was in on Brandon Ayuk, but only really as a dynasty hold. I didn't think it would look like this. And yet, like, I didn't think he would have multiple weeks with double digit targets. I didn't think that would be a thing. Well, here, here's the thing though, right? I, I, I said for years that the 2014 class was an outlier. Don't chase it. And for the most part, that was another rule that that really looked good for several years, reasons, uh, for several years. And then last year, the rookie class blew up. And then this year, the rookie class, I think, had a lot of hits in it. 
I'm told, you know, Eric Edholm, our colleague, does great uh, prep work for the for the draft and with with college scouting and everything. I mean, they're all telling me it's a great receiver group, great receiver class. I think as the college and pro games start to merge closer together, and there's less of a learning curve, and the the, the base offense in the NFL now is three wide receivers. So when you draft a guy, it used to be you drafted a guy, and you weren't even going to play him right away. You know, it's like oh, okay, yeah. Remember, Randy Moss was a part-time player. As great as he was his rookie year, he was still a part-time player because a base offense generally was two receivers. And it's like, oh, wow, look, they're putting the third receiver out there. Not plays There's no wide. room for him. Yeah. Right. So I think next year I have to do – not not look, it's not that I, I didn't draft some of these guys. You know, I have CeeDee Lamb on a handful of teams. And I think I might have drafted Judy here or there. Um, I was open to Ayuk, although I think a lot of people were hip to him. And I never really got the price I wanted on him. But – I streamed Gabe Davis now and then, who, who's another player who looks pretty good as a rookie. Wasn't always asked to play, although when he was on the field, he was a full-time player. I'm going to try to be a little bit more proactive. I'm not, I'm not saying I'm going to elbow everybody out of the way for rookie receivers and redraft. In fact, if, if there's an overcorrection in the market, maybe fading that overcorrection will be the play. But I have never been more open to a rookie receiver being on my seasonal team than I am in the current moment. We can probably go through tight end pretty quickly um, because I don't have a lot to say here because the position was, as we we have said repeatedly, just kind of a hellscape. There were like two right answers at the tight end position, right? Um, uh, there were, there was Travis Kelsey. I, I will take no victory lap for having Travis Kelsey on like four different uh, uh, title teams. Like he, he was the number one tight end. He produced. He's had this historic season. It was great. Uh, you didn't need a fantasy expert to tell you that Travis Kelsey was going to be pretty damn good. I will say I, I, I was very wrong on... On the other correct answer at tight end, which was Darren Waller, who's going to finish as the as the overall tight end too. You know, you, you look at the Raiders draft, you look at what they did. They bring in, you know, they they literally draft the first wide receiver off the board, and Henry Ruggs, probably not the right guy, but they drafted the first wide receiver off the board. They bring in Brian Edwards, like everything. Uh, it, Everything appeared as though they were looking to really diversify the the, the sort of passing tree there and, and work the ball to different players. And that Darren Waller would no longer be the centerpiece of that passing attack, and he was very much the centerpiece of that passing attack. And and has really had as good or better a season than he had in twenty nineteen. And I have no Darren Waller. Uh, again, it didn't burn me because I got a lot of Travis Kelsey, but I was I was fantastically wrong on Darren Waller. How about you? I thought. What Tyler Higby did last year was the genie out of the bottle was going to be too good for the Rams not to at least run that back to some degree. And although Higby had an early three touchdown game against the Eagles, which was kind of like the, the Eagles have valet service on the back end this year. They'll just take you anyway. I mean, yeah, Dallas, I mean, Andy Dalton could do whatever he wanted against that Eagles secondary. He, when he got the matchups he wanted, they were just abusing that secondary. So, you know, Higby's three touchdown game, I guess, is more a comment on the Eagles. He, he's been a brick. I thought he was somebody to get in like round six, round seven. I felt really good about it. And, you know, the worst thing is I actually gave him a little bit of leash. I probably spent an extra week or two believing in Higby when I shouldn't have. And then I, I finally pivoted to other guys. Told, could not be more wrong about him. I thought I did okay with it. For the, the poor, unfortunate souls who didn't have Kelsey or, or maybe Darren Waller, I thought I did okay with some of the other guys. I was proactive towards Hawkinson. You know, when in doubt, any Iowa tight end will do. I made a trade uh, of Debo Samuel for Logan Thomas in a league where we start two tight ends, and, and he was really useful for me, um, even though I, I benched him for Irv Smith in week 15, and it cost me about 600 bucks. I don't know. <laughs> I didn't trust the Washington quarterback they had at the time. I can't remember the, the name, guy's name because he's, he's off the team now, but um, 
I don't know. I, I just didn't think he, you know, the, the last good thing that Dwayne Haskins did was he made Logan Thomas a, you know, a, a semifinal winner in week 15. Yeah. And then he checked out for the rest of the season. But so, you know, Hawkinson and Logan Thomas kind of softened the blow a little bit. I'll say what I always say to people looking forward, draft Noah Fant next year. I realize I can't tell you to draft 27 different Broncos and they're all going to hit, but he just looks, again, any Iowa tight end will do, right? I mean, he just looks <laughs> like a monster. They just need a good quarterback. I don't know if it's going to be Drew Locke, but in fact, you know, if, if they would just get, I know this sounds stupid because he's so old, but like Ryan Fitzpatrick on the Broncos, how much fun would that be? So, you know, so with fun. all that talent. Super fun. Yeah, Corbin yeah. Sutton coming so get, back, get Jerry Judy. Year, yeah. But wasn't my best tight end year. I, I didn't have – not that I was ever against Kelsey, but I was drafting a lot of receivers in that round. I, I hope the times I passed on Kelsey, I hope those are my, my Devontae Adams team. So I haven't <laughs> looked back on it. But, um, you know, Kelsey just – and this is you – know, I, I know we were going to talk about Kittle going forward, but I think there's also a discussion to be had on Kelsey. He's a, Not only is he going to be a first-round pick next year, he's going to be, I think, a top-six pick. But he's also in an age 32 season. He's been – remarkably durable. He had that major injury at the beginning of his career, but what has he played like seven straight full seasons or something like that? Are you going to be somebody top five, top six pick for Kelsey? Does that sound like something you'd be interested yeah, so in? So this is the thing I was, I was referencing that athletic mock draft earlier and Kelsey goes like back half of round one. And I just don't know that that's where he's really going to go. Cause again, the, the positional advantage and Yes, it was a, a miserable season at tight end, but Darren Waller had a year. Like Darren Waller's had a great year, thousand yards, plenty of touchdowns, great year. Travis Kelsey entered uh, Week 16 like 50 points ahead of him for the for the. It wasn't. It's not even close. I mean, Travis Kelsey was crushing Darren Waller's season for fantasy purposes. And again, the gap between Kelsey and like tight end three, tight end six is just stupid. It's not even worth talking about. Um, Travis Kelsey would be the 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 RB four right now based on what he scored year to date. He would be the wide receiver three in the RB4. Like he's, this scoring is, is uh, almost without precedent. It's, it's been absolutely ridiculous. And there's no, like, nobody's going to think the Chiefs offense is going to fall off in 2021, right? Like as long as they've got healthy Mahomes, Travis Kelsey is going to be 90 or hundred yards and a touchdown. That's what he's been bankable for that all season. I doubt he's going to, I mean, maybe, maybe you slip from a historic season, which is what he's ha having. He's, he's going to be the first tight end with over 1400 receiving yards. So so, okay, maybe you fall off of that, but to what? 1,200 yards and, and seven touchdowns, nine touchdowns, whatever. He's, he's just so bankable at the position that I think I think I'd take him ahead of any wide receiver. I'm not going to take him at the very top. I, I don't think there's a case for that. But if, I don't know, five running backs go at the, at the top of the draft and I'm sitting there at six, and I feel like the wide receiver that I can get in round two can compete with Devontae Adams or, or Tyree Kill, I think I, I think I probably go Travis Kelsey there because I just know that, you know, worst case, I'm getting 1,200 yards and like eight touchdowns. I'm just throwing this out there. You're not worried about the fact that it's an age 32 season? Um, he, he just doesn't miss games. He just hasn't missed games. And he 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 looks like the most athletic, or like one of the three most athletic tight ends in the league right now. Like, <laughs> you know, I mean... It, this this is one of the great seasons in the history of the position. Uh, it doesn't seem like a, a, a pure product of the system. Like I think he's really gifted as a receiver. And I, if I if I felt like I saw any any actual decline, any physical decline, maybe I'd react to it. Um, and again, you'd you'd always rather be you know uh, you don't want to be a year late on the on the decline. But I, I just don't see any obvious sign of it. You know, just the fact of the odometer clicking to another number doesn't doesn't freak me out. Uh, a whole heck of a you know, lot. 
it's funny, postscript on the Chiefs. Here we are, they're 14 and one. I don't know how they'll approach the final game, but you know, they could probably they'd win it if they wanted it. 14 and one. Mahomes will probably be the MVP runner up, although some people will, will pick him first. And yet the only thing that's come from it has been a monstrous Tyreek Hill season and this legendary <laughs> yeah. historic Kelsey season, right? We've got nothing out of Sammy Watkins. You know, surprise, surprise. Uh, Edwards Hilaire, Elaire was a disappointment. It looks like as, as much as McCall Hardman is an athletic freak, it still looks like he's technically very raw with with, with hands, with route running. You know, they, they don't seem to fully trust him. You know, every once in a while, Demarcus Robinson pops in your screen, but never with any fantasy confidence. So this has become in, in, a, in an era where I always talk about the usage trees getting wider and wider. This team has said, look, we we butter our bread with two guys. You know, Mahomes is the pivot man, and he's throwing to, to Kelsey and Hill, and everybody else will get the scraps, you know, because nobody can cover Tyreek Hill. And even when Travis Kelsey has bodies around him, he's so big. He's open. He's open even when he doesn't look open. And in some of the throws that maybe Alex Smith wouldn't make, you know, Mahomes is certainly willing to make. And, and talk about a guy who can throw from any platform, you know, any running position. I mean, he's he's just a wizard. He's so much fun to watch. So I, I wonder if that's been – every year is different. You never want to say never with Andy Reid. It also will probably be an un- unusual year next year with Kansas City where their coaching staff is going to get raided. It sure seems like Eric Bieniemy will, will probably get a full-time job somewhere as a head coach. You know, as great as Andy Reid is, it's hard to know when you're not in the building how much the assistants actually have roles there. Um, you, you know all about uh, getting a chief assistant You know, and Matt Nagy. I'm not sure that anybody wants to make a long-term <laughs> commitment with him in Chicago. Although, hey. We didn't talk about the Bears somehow on this podcast. You know, Mitch I will Trubisky. say they didn't quit. I mean, they've had a just a layup line of a schedule over the last four or yeah, five right, weeks. Man, but they, it is, Mitch it is Trubisky at the right schedule at the right time, right? If they re-up him, he, I mean, he should send a thank you bottle of champagne to the oh, Houston defense and the, Scott, and the Lions I, I don't even want to and, tell you what I heard on Chicago Sports Radio today. Like, people, like callers calling in saying, hey, maybe we franchise him. Like, you're going to give 30-plus million dollars to Mitch Trubisky at a time when the salary cap is – is gonna be lower really that's the plan look if you if you want straight talk in chicago sports you go to our our former colleague kevin kaduck who's doing a great job yeah. with his midway minute newsletter covers all things chicago a really really good dude too but um yeah trubisky i yeah this, this could have been an all bears podcast if you wanted it to be you know if we didn't talk about david montgomery either are you let me ask you this i, I feel like we we, we owe him this because he's been so good David Montgomery, is he a second-round pick? Is he a first-round pick next year? Yeah, I, I don't think so. I will be curious because once we, you know, once you're actually looking at the full-season numbers, you're going to see 1,000-yard rusher. You're going to see plenty of receptions. You're going you're gonna to feel like, wow, this guy really made stride. And he did. Like, David Montgomery's been great. Um, he has had a an exceedingly running back-friendly schedule over the last uh, four weeks, but he hasn't screwed it up. Like, he's been great. He's hit in absolutely every game, to his credit. No, I'm I'm not going to be taking him at the back end of the first round. Certainly, I doubt I'm going to be taking him in the second round. Um, he he's fine, good like good player. I don't think he's a special runner, and I think a lot of the receiving has has obviously been a, a function of Tariq Cohen not being in the picture. And you're just not going to get this schedule. Um, uh, at, the key, at this time the key, ever again. the key to David Montgomery next year is don't have the Lions game in the last game of the season when you can't <laughs> use it for fantasy. I don't know if there'll even be a 17 game schedule next year. For all we know. It could be next year. It's week 18 we're avoiding, you know, yeah. and all the championships are decided in week 17. I don't know when they're going to implement that. But generally going against the Detroit Lions has been a, a bankable fantasy strategy. I, mean, I think every Tampa Bay player scored a touchdown this past week. So, Oh, man, I'm like the one guy who needed that Antonio Brown touchdown, too. That uh, that, that helped me in no small way. 
Um, well, this was fun. This was good. This was a, this was a, a productive exercise. And uh, if you if you tolerated this podcast, wow, do we have podcasts for you? Um, we got plenty of them at Yahoo Sports. Check out the Yahoo Sports NFL pod with Charles Robinson and Therese Paler, the Yahoo Sports College podcast with Dan Wetzel, Pete Thamel, and our good friend Pat Forty from SI, and post it up with Chris Haynes. That returns for a recap of the NBA's opening week. Follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am at Andy Barons. That right there is at Scott underscore Pianowski. Enormous thanks to Sully, our producer. Tomorrow, you get Matt Harmon and Dalton Del Don. But until then, we are out. Look around. You can find cars like these on Auto Trader, like that car riding your tail. Or if you're tailgating right now, all those cars doubling as kitchens and living rooms are on Auto Trader, too. Are you working out and listening to this ad at the same time? Well, multitasking pro, cars like the ones in the gym parking lot are for sale on AutoTrader. New cars, used cars, electric cars, maybe even flying cars. Okay, no flying cars, but as soon as they get invented, they'll be on AutoTrader. Just you wait. AutoTrader.